Hello, hello. Hello, sir. Good morning. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you? I'm good. Sun's out this morning. It's good. It's been uh, it's been a little overcast this week, so uh, I always wake up feeling a little more optimistic when the sun is out. Funny how that happens. <laughs> same, 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 same. I actually ate at lunch outside yesterday. It was glorious. Mm-hmm. It's starting to be like real spring. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I first got to mention again that we're doing the code quality challenge soon. Mm-hmm. Gotta get my <laughs> second mention. <laughs> Look at you doing marketing. <laughs> the key to marketing is flog things. Incessantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. it's been a week since these people have heard about this. But yeah, we're, we're still signing people up. Um, saw a lot of tweets going out the other day, which is great. So yeah, if you want to join us, you should. It's going to be fun. Very cool. Actually, I don't remember if I told you this or not. <laughs> I think I haven't. So here's some news for you, too. Oh, okay. I Do you know at uh, Shreyas on Twitter? S-H-R-E-Y-A-S? Um, Product management f- tweets. Yes. Works at yes, Stripe. That sounds familiar. Yep, yep, yep. So Shreyas Doshi uh, is a Stripe product manager and has these great tweet storms about how to do product management well. I happened to talk to him as part of like a Stripe beta that we're part of. And I was like, oh, you're like that, Shreyas. That's cool. And like connected the two in my mind. And that was neat. And so I was like, hey, like, do you want to come on Art of Product and talk about product management and how you do it at Stripe? Yeah. Did I tell you this? Um, I think I saw it on a I think I saw it on a calendar invite. Ah, actually. Yes. That's right. <laughs> that was, yeah. That's how I communicate sometimes. That's a, that's yeah. the CEO way. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just You've been invited calendar. to a meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, Shreyas is gonna we're gonna do a like a prep call tomorrow or today? Today? And then um, record uh, the podcast soonish, so you'll be hearing from a straight person soon, which will be cool. Okay, cool, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've wanted to get like more insight into how Stripe does these things because I think they do it very well, and they're doing it very well at a huge scale. So I'm I'm eager to hear about some of that stuff. Yeah, no, that'll I I will be very yeah interested to hear about that too. I mean, I I've looked up to their process for a long time, and it's like, how do you continue? continue executing like they do when when you have you know a couple thousand engineers and um, millions of customers like <laughs> it seems it seems like there's a lot of lessons that can be pulled out of that for sure totally yep so that seems exciting also by the way if you're listening to this and you are like a stripe engineer or someone and want to come and talk about the engineering side of things i would love to have someone like you on as well so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. please email me or tweet at me or something because mm-hmm. um, i don't actually see a lot of that kind of like frontline knowledge getting out like Patrick Collison gives talks and things, but like, it's like, I'm curious what it's like to actually be an engineer at Stripe and like what the processes look for like for those folks. So if you are interested in that, please hit me up or you can connect me with someone. That'd be cool too. Yeah. I re- recall talking to a couple folks who work at Stripe during the level phase when I was like thinking about async communication and stuff. And like at that time, this is a year and a half ago, two years ago, they uh, they had a lot of kind of unique processes around communication. I think there was like, I think they mentioned like they automatically archive communication in Slack. Like even though they're on a paid Slack account, of course, like they kind of cut off how much communication is accessible in there because they don't want that to be the knowledge archive and they like proactively discourage that. So there's a lot of interesting things that they're doing uh, to to keep things under control. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of smart people there, so eager to hear all that stuff. 
Uh, also, in like more tuple-related news, we uh, just rented an office space. Did you? Yeah. Because you had one before, right? For a short period of time? For a short period of time, we decided we, we didn't want to stay there. We, we started in Joel's second bedroom, and then we briefly left, and then we went back to Joel's second bedroom. And now we are uh, trying an office again. And this will be mostly for uh, Joel and me. But occasionally, like, Dorothy's going to come by and Spencer will drop by when he's in town and things like that. But it's going to be it'll probably mostly be two people in it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a private office in a co-working space in sort of the, the center of the square that we live next to. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Have you found that there are, like, are there good deals on office space right now? Because Yes. <laughs> because of pandemic. Um, <laughs> this office space is basically 50% of what it was during normal times. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that. It's going to be nice to have like a separate spot to go. Well, I kind of have that now, um, but it'll be good for Joel to also have that sort of separation and that that kind of clearing of the mind and resetting as that you get by walking into and from work. I think. Are you feeling bullish about like kind of the like the office returning, probably in a new kind of in a new way, but like post post pandemic? Like I I feel like there's going to be a a kind of renewed appreciation for face to face working definitely yeah i I agree i think there's gonna be like multiple factors at play i I think people are definitely kind of starved for that interaction and will be into that and i think people will also some people have gotten a taste of the benefits of working from home as well or working remotely and want to keep some of that so i I think this sort of like coming back to the office but spending more time working remotely is probably the the likely steady state for a little Mm -hmm. bit Mm -hmm. like that's that's kind of what we have been doing ourselves actually like I, I work in person with joel a lot of days but then like record this podcast at home sometimes i'll just take random days and work from home do a lot of remote stuff spencer's in maine basically for the summer at, at this point um, so we and like i do that month on the vineyard we kind of do this this mixed approach ourselves already mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and it's nice yeah change it up flexibility is the is the key like if you're forced to work remotely all the time, I think that's no good. If you're forced to be in person all the time, that's not great either. Yeah. No, that's for me, like novelty in my location is like a pretty important part of the way I work. From time to time, I've seen people like kind of move off of like doing any work on laptop and they just have like their, you know, their iMac at home and their kind of optimized workstation. I used to do that like many years ago, but I moved away from it. And I couldn't imagine doing that because... Like when I used to have a a home office, I would only use it like maybe half the time. And the other parts of the time I was either in a different part of the house or I was at a coffee shop or I was, you know, because to me, it's just like changing up my surroundings is actually pretty important for productivity. Everyone's a little different in that regard, but I've just kind of found that for myself. I've been craving that lately, actually. Like I'm I'm in the market for like a new MacBook, Um, partly because even when I'm home, I find myself wanting to just not always be in the same desk. Like, let me work from the kitchen counter or something. Or let me sit on the couch and do something like it. there's something to, like sometimes I, my, my body or whatever. I, I just don't want to be in that same spot for some reason. Yep. Yep. It's just like a little hack I can use to squeeze a little bit more out of my own brain for the day. Like I'll just get stagnant in one spot. And then it's like, oh, if I just change it up, I can get a little renewed something. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Like as a as a hunter gatherer, like mm-hmm. with, with hunter gatherer hardware. You probably yeah. <laughs> want to be, be moving around and, and getting some new stimuli. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Seems possible to me. Uh, speaking of new stimuli, he segued smoothly. I am looking to hire an animator. 
An animator. An animator. All right. So what are you going to be animating? So we have this button in Tuple that um, shows confetti on your pair's screen. Uh huh. And it's like this cute, fun little like celebration. Like, oh, you like finished the thing or like, you know, something good happened. And you can just like drop it. And like it's it always gets good reactions and people really like it. And I think we need more things like that. And so I want to hire an animator to like make us a few things that are kind of programmer centric that are like f- fun and help kind of build rapport between pairs. Mm-hmm. That delight, the delightful aspect, like Slack talks about this and companies like that have sort of consumer grade experiences around business software, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like a little bit of delight. It's not like a thing that people are asking for exactly. And it's not... It's not a core piece of the product exactly, but it's it's like you use it and it's fun and you like it. And I think it also kind of helps. I actually think it I think it really actually will help establish rapport between people. Like when you're working remotely, it's kind of there's I think you need a little help sometimes because you're not sitting next to that person and like it's a little harder to make jokes with them or or become friendly or something. And so if you have these little things, I yeah. think it will it will aid in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I agree. I think investing in delight is uh, is a good thing, but it's one of those it's one of those um, squishy areas where, like, yeah, nobody asks for that, and yet it could actually be really valuable. That's an interesting class of of feature, you know. Those are yes, totally. I think those are kind of like gems, actually. That's where you can kind of like lead a little bit with your your vision, as opposed to kind of just reacting to what the market is asking for, which is like you know a, a good signal. That's probably like the you know the eighty percent. It's probably the eighty twenty signal is like, what are people asking you for? But then like to really step above, it's like, what what do you understand or what can you picture or envision or create that people aren't even seeing yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, I also think like to kind of build, like I really like things in Tuple that kind of hammer home, like this is a developer tool for developers. And so like the things that I'm thinking about adding are things that will resonate with our, with developers. Like, it's like, oh yeah, we we feel your pain or we, we see what's fun. We know what's fun for you or like we get the memes, you know, like it's, it's a little bit of like a, a proof of uh, us being legit in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, this is the kind of stuff that like zoom would never add because it's, you know, they're a, a mass market tool. And so I want people to feel, hit these touches and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. This is cool. This is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a little big feature. I'm excited to to work on that. Yeah. So this is just like a short-term contract engagement with some independent animator is kind of what you're what That's you're what a, for? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. I don't really know where to find these people. I need to do some more research. <laughs> um, <laughs> Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think Twitter's the next step. I, I wrote a little design brief for like the first thing that we want to get done. Uh, so I'm going I'm to tweet that out and see what, see what happens. I got one quote so far from someone that asked for like $8,000 for what I think is going to be like a four second animation. And I was like, I think we're in different huh. ballparks. Yeah. 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 And uh, this will be, I guess, suppose it's implemented in like native, like Mac OS. I think what we're going to do is ask for an After Effects file. And then there's this project called Lottie that lets you translate After Effects things into core animation, like native Mac animations. Okay. Yeah. Um, which will work until we go to Linux and then who knows. Um, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, we'll see some implementation details. We'll figure it sure. out. Yep. Yep. I've also been like, I was talking to Spencer about this yesterday. I have this thing that I want to hire for, and I don't know if it's like, this feels hard to hire for, which is like a support engineer. 
because we have these problems on tuple where it's like sometimes people will have these like repeatable bugs or like semi-repeatable like reproducible bugs and it's like damn it really sucks that this person over here is having this issue but like we have effectively two and a half ish engineers and everyone is on projects already and so it's like yeah i would love for someone to like get in the logs do a call with this person figure out what's going on hopefully track it down i mean ideally fix it right like but like at least kind of end up with a really great bug report with you know likely culprits and reproduction steps and all that and also just give the person that sort of warm fuzzy feeling like someone you know is on it and so like i want someone that's kind of like support but kind of an engineer but and ideally a c++ expert with real-time experience but like, <laughs> yeah. uh, so yes. yeah seeking as much overlap as you can in skills but like this was a role that was huge for us at drip tell me about how you did this our, effectively our, our first support engineer he was a junior engineer when one of our one of our two juniors that we kind of trained, trained a, a, a ruby dev yep yep okay and so he was you know part of his responsibility was like working on just just building features and then yeah we support got to the point where it was like there were enough um either technical implementation questions or like you're like you're speaking to like things that needed to be troubleshot and like but you have to actually dig into a console or look in logs or do another layer of digging to get to the bottom of it. And that's kind of how we naturally, I think, ended up on that rotation. It was like someone had to be on that rotation and and he sort of was the go-to one. So he spent probably half of his time doing that and half of his time um, working, on, working on features. And I think it was like something that it wasn't going to last forever. Like... <laughs> Because he was an engineer and he wanted to build features and that was sort of not his, wasn't his first like thing that he loved to do, but it was, but he was good at it. And I, so I think that's the trickiest part of that role is if someone is an engineer and they have those skills where they can actually do that level of troubleshooting, like they probably want, ideally want to be doing engineering and not necessarily doing support. He didn't dislike it. So he, he was on that rotation for a long time. And so it's like finding someone he was particularly good at like at really digging in and and like he I think he enjoyed the the puzzle solving aspect of like troubleshooting an issue. And I think he did get some enjoyment out of that. And not everyone is like that. So that's something to definitely look for as a quality in this in this candidate, you know. And then when we hired for it, we ended up hiring more support engineers after acquisition. And we generally did look someone who's more in the kind of the junior level developer skill set who was also like very good with communication skills um and so was were you basically planning on providing a career track for these people where it's like you're you're paying your dues kind of by doing the support engineering but in exchange we're also mentoring you to become a developer that doesn't do this that's sort of how it ended up being like there was it was an important thing for i think every support engineer that we had it was important for them to know that like they were they were going to continue leveling up their skills and probably graduate into just being a member of the engineering team. Interesting. Um, and did that yeah. work out in practice? Yeah, it did. It did. I think we had some, some who lasted longer in that being happy in that role than others. So like, <laughs> I think we had one that was like, after a couple of months, it was just like, it kind of, kind of wore him down and he felt like he needed to, he needed to get into more of a, just a traditional engineering role. Like he just really wasn't enjoying it. So now I think maybe he, this was his first 
job doing support engineering. So if you find someone who kind of knows what they're getting into, maybe you could mitigate that a little bit, you know? Um, yeah. I sort of don't love the idea of like, we want you to do this job, but hey, we know it's crappy and you won't like it. So don't worry. You want to do it for that long. To me, that kind of like demeans it or like, it's like, you're not really solving the problem of like, oh, we found someone that is good at this and loves it. It's like, we've <laughs> convinced someone to do this crappy thing they don't like because they're getting something they do like. So it's like, if we make it like just a step on the path, it's like temporary. We're going to have to like solve this again later. There's that question of how long does the person last before they're like, I, I'm sorry, I hate this. Can I please stop doing it? Um, and there must be people who like this, right? It's like this, this is, I assume. <laughs> I Yeah, I hope. There, probably, there probably are. I think the, I don't know what the Venn diagram looks like for people who are truly like... <laughs> like really skilled developers that are continuing to to improve their skill set in that realm, but also love to do the support, like the support side of it, you know? Yeah. Um, I wonder if I'm trying to like make this too hybrid-y. And it's like what I want is like a really experienced like support engineer person that like maybe doesn't actually write the code, like doesn't doesn't operate at the code level, but they're like highly, they're very technical and like are handing the things off to developers as like fully formed kind of bug reports basically. Yeah. Yes. That, that that might be a, that that's probably enough like if we could find this miracle unicorn person that'd be great as you know as i've said about five different positions but uh it makes it so much harder yeah i mean you see other companies do this and we never we never actually did this specifically i don't think at drip but like where you kind of just have like engineers that are on kind of support rotation so when there's a they're the go-to person in this span of time and it kind of rotates through you know that could be good too, yeah. That sort of has the same same thing where it's kind of like you know you got to do this thing that to we know you don't like. In. Yeah, right. It's yeah. It's like no one would ever be like, all right, everyone has to take a turn doing accounting or something like. It's like presumably there are professionals that do this and like it and don't feel like they're just you know punching the clock. Maybe not. Maybe that's what you have to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because it's either like that person who's doing the support engineer rotation is either like a member of the engineering team where they're actually, you know, they can take in a problem and they can actually like work on the thing to solve it. And that's sort of magical. But I think that's hard to maintain to straddle that. That's interesting fodder. Thanks for the those thoughts. Yeah, you bet. Um, but yeah, this is this is just like a big source of stress. I realized for like several of us, like me and Spencer both. It's like he wants to focus on a thing and not be pulled away. I want to let him focus on a thing. But like we both see these like reports come in and support issues. And it's kind of like, oh, God, like what is happening over here with this person? They have like some sort of weird setup or for some reason they just have a crappy experience. And like we want to work on the things that are going to benefit 80% of our customers. But like we also don't want to just like leave these people out to dry. And what's the answer other than like, oh, thanks for the thanks for the report. You know, look at it. Never. Right. Right. Yeah. Along those lines, actually, I have a question for you. Support is something that I've been thinking about getting help on. And I've kind of been weighing, like, do I do my own sourcing on that and try to find, you know, find someone kind of on a part-time basis or whatever, on a contract basis to to start helping out with support? Or do I go with one of the kind of productized service companies that that do this? And I'm leaning towards um, I'm leaning towards productized service because I think 
it, it takes a lot of that headache out of the sourcing process. <laughs> yeah. And, and the person's manager will be also be trained on support. So if, if they decide to leave or need to be let go or whatever, there will be some redundancy automatically baked in. So I'm feeling pretty good about, about that direction. And it's not too crazy expensive either. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to not outsource support too early. A big one being like, you want to stay in close touch with what you know, customers are saying what they're reporting, what they're asking for to keep your know, finger on the pulse of what people need. And so this is something like kind of like you're looking for a support person who has the technical ability to do more of the more of the engineering stuff. It would be great if my support person also had like the ability to dig in on like dig a layer deeper when someone submits a feature request instead of it just being like hey thanks we'll pass this along like doing another layer of like that's an interesting request we we don't have that today but i'm curious to hear more about the use case and like doing a little bit more of that dialogue trying to get to the bottom of things um so like kind of like wear a product person hat a little bit or at least like an investigator hat where like we're trying to trying to suss out some of that stuff and i don't know i wonder if that's do you feel like that's possible or is that still just like will that will that job should that job still always be mine for or at least for a while like like if someone submits a feature request that always lands on my plate to then do follow-up and digging hmm well my first thought is our first question is have you done several rounds of trying to reduce or eliminate support requests it has been more more incremental improvement over time than actually like doing or doing a round i would say like sometimes i get lazy and i know that like i answered i just answered a question and if i would take 20 minutes and write up a kb doc i could probably prevent that question from coming in later and sometimes i have the discipline to do that other times i just i'm just cranking through the <laughs> through the the inbox and i'm answering questions and i don't take the time to do that so it kind of varies but and sometimes it's also like like fixing something in the UI that's constantly causing questions and you know that eventually ends up getting prioritized and I try to prioritize those things so that I can save myself from that um so yeah yeah i think if you're not really excited to deliver amazing customer support as a part of what makes your company great then maybe the right frame of mind is that customer support requests are bugs. And so, you know, you're going to have some, but you want to drive them out as much as possible. Um, so like it's, I think it's like really natural as we're growing these companies to sort of say like, Oh, we have a problem. The answer is a person whose job it is to handle the problem as opposed to, can we get rid of this problem or like make this problem 90% less common so that we don't want the person at all? Uh, so I, I I would I would want to do a, a number of rounds of that, like go through the last hundred requests and be like, can I just totally destroy some of these? And like I don't think you should be doing support forever, but you doing support is kind of great. Elon Musk said this awesome thing the other day, which is like a a company is a human machine hybrid cybernetic organism. So like tuple is a bunch of code running in data centers and people's computers and then a bunch of humans doing things. And it's like, yeah, we can add more humans to the cyborg to accomplish things, but humans have a lot of drawbacks. Episode title. 
and so like if you could just write code to avoid plugging more humans into the matrix that's pretty good and my guess is you could get a, probably a lot of mileage if you took that as your your marching orders uh, maybe that's not your number one priority so maybe you decide not to do it now or ever possibly but i think that's worth thinking about yeah so that's that's really good like eliminating commonly asked questions so that people can find their own answers i think is a is a big class of these right and that's yeah at least give them the chance you know at least have it written down somewhere so maybe they find it thankfully that's kind of how the 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 help scout help widget funnel works you know it's like you click a little thing and as you type your you type your question like it's it's naturally searching the kb for them and hopefully doing a pretty good job of that um i just don't have a ton of kb docs right now which i like to flesh that out a lot more and so that's part of like what this service would do i think is you know in the time that they're not answering customer questions they could go through and basically document prior questions or just flesh out help docs and so that that's an interesting way you framed it where like if you're if you don't feel like it's one of your core value deliveries to to provide amazing customer support and it's like on the one hand i do feel like for any any customer interaction should be really amazing and should be really good but yeah ideally no one should ever have to email support like i my goal is to build a product that is so intuitive honestly it, just if I'm putting <laughs> putting myself in my customers' shoes, like I don't ever want to have to email support to a company. I know a lot of consumers operate differently and like take joy in emailing customer support. But even when I'm even when it's a small company and I know the founder, it's like I don't I don't want to have to email support if I don't have to. I would just like to find answers or figure it out intuitive. Right. You know. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's a worthy goal then. Like, I, I wish we did even more of this. And this is like something that maybe like a support engineer could help with or something. But like, I, I think of tuple support requests mostly as bugs, especially because our audience is developers, right? Like they, I think they, they doubly don't want to have to email support. Um, so it's like, if this person can't help themselves, then we kind of, we kind of failed them. And yeah, we could be like super nice and, and fast and efficient when they send us this email that they really shouldn't have had to send us. But like, is that what I want to, is that the deli- the value that we're like interested in delivering? Not really. And I will say like, I feel pretty good right now about the number of questions that I get that are like um, things that I feel like should have been, should have been more obvious or should have been, the answer should have been obtainable through other means. Like I, that quantity is, I feel like is pretty low right now. I just get a lot of feature requests, like and a lot of just small gaps in features that we don't have compared to other tools or or like truly novel things where people are like, I want to be able to put frequency limits on a subset of my links and blah, 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 like just presenting these use cases to me. And I love getting those, but also there's, I mean, <laughs> I feel like the, the pile of requested things is just growing. And like a lot of them are things that I would potentially want to build. So it requires mental thought to like respond to them and synthesize, you know, the reason why they're asking and, and all of that. And I don't know if the solution to that is like, should I view those as bugs? The fact that those types of requests are making it into my support queue and should I have a different place where those should go? I don't know. I guess that kind of comes back to the discussion of like having one of those like one of those feature request tracker thingies. But I don't know if that really actually solves anything. It's still it's would just be shifting <laughs> shifting a feature request into a different place. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure there's much to solve on the feature requests. Like that those to me are not bugs. That's like a good sign. That's like people are engaged with the product and they want new things. I guess you could train your support person to like do some digging on those that might be useful. I read everything that comes in to the support queue. I know that, you know, by default, it's going to be answered by somebody else. 
and like the sort of default feature request thing is like cool we got it thanks for thanks for requesting but when i see something interesting or something i want to respond to i just hop in and and give an answer or like dig into something and ask more questions and i like that um i kind of like letting all that wash over me and like seeing all the stuff coming in um yeah. And I think I would still do that too, honestly. And I think it would just be a lot of peace of mind knowing that like when I read this, it's not literally a to-do item sitting there for me to respond to unless I feel the need to dig deeper. And I guess, I suppose that's the case there. Like there's a percentage of feature requests that it's just like, it's well understood why they're asking for this. And it may or may not be a use case that we're going to support in the future. And that's something I'm deciding, you know, so like there's sometimes there's no additional digging needed because it's pretty clear. And then other times it's like, oh, I actually haven't heard this one before, and I'm, I'm curious to know what's going on in your business that's making you ask for this feature. Um, and so then, then if I just take the time to personally follow up with those, but then the rest I just kind of let let them follow the default path of you know, thanks for the feature request. We'll stick that in our hat yep. <laughs> and yeah. think about it. You know, yeah, I like that. That seems reasonable to me. It's hard to know how to respond to feature requests sometimes where it's like, sometimes I'm just like, it's like, yeah, uh, we're probably not going to do that. It's like, do I, do I tell the person like, thanks, but no way. Or like, thanks, but like maybe in a year or two or yeah, I don't know. It's tricky sometimes. I like being as honest as possible with those, but yeah, I think that's ideal. I usually just say like, we have no immediate plans to do this, but, um, you know, yeah, that's good. Take it under consideration or something like that. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. How's Outlook going? Uh, it's good. It's going smooth. Yeah, it's on the technical front, like people, like we're up to like close to a hundred connected Outlook accounts, and pretty smooth sailing. A couple, you know, a couple like people reporting like issues with permissions it's just kind of just beyond my control like if their if their administrator has locked something down or something like that but otherwise otherwise pretty smooth trials are up like my active trial count is up quite a bit from where it was at the beginning of the month so feel pretty good about that i think that's probably partially spurred on by um by the outlook launch so totally that's great yeah yeah, we announced the code quality challenge yesterday and uh, like the new cohort and like we had a record day of trials. It's like, yep, that's it's like marketing works kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's almost like there's a reason people do marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So what else is going on with you? So I chipped uh, some more little features kind of continuing on from from last week's momentum on that. So. I finally finally shipped the ability to use an in-person location on on your scheduling link. Saw that. <laughs> I just laugh about this. Like you can tell this product was born during a pandemic that I didn't have that for like a year. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, the first couple of requests for it came like a little ways back where like someone in Australia was like, you know, we uh we can do in person now here. So <laughs> so can you add this? Um That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. A nice so, little microcosm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did that. Uh, shipped like a Microsoft Teams integration, which is just like works similar to Google Meet, where you, uh, when you're creating the calendar event, you just you just mark like if the calendar supports it, you just like send a flag saying like please in, please include a Teams integration on this. So, uh, have you ever heard someone say they like Microsoft Teams? I actually hear a lot of people not hating on Microsoft Teams. Really. 
Yes. Wow. I, I, I think I've only heard negative things. Like it's always really? mentioned in like the same breath as like, <laughs> oh, it sucks or something. <laughs> I hear people groan about it only in the sense of like they in the way that they groan about all technology <laughs> to some degree. But like I've heard that it, it's actually like, well, I mean, it's it's leveraging the fact that like generally if you're on Microsoft Teams, you are like a Microsoft shop, like your entire your entire business is run. You do everything in PowerPoint and Word and Excel and everything is like talking to each other. And I think it's like I think it does a pretty good job of like stitching together when people are like fully immersed in that ecosystem. Got um, it. Yeah. So, okay. Maybe it's because I'm used to hearing about it in the context of like their screen sharing. Oh, yeah. And actually, appears to be I haven't heard any, I haven't heard anyone actually talk about the conferencing like um, functionality in Teams. I will admit I've never actually been on a Teams call before. <laughs> yeah, me either. So, um, I can't speak to that. My angle on it is probably maybe one of the rougher edges. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm making progress on, I have a bunch of things kind of in flight right now, which I, which I feel feels a little chaotic to me, but I feel like it's important to move, move each of these fronts forward because I'm I'm like talking to a partner in the industry that, um, I think this could be a pretty, a pretty nice little, little partnership. Can't really give too many details about it just yet, but like in order for them to continue moving forward with like a proof of concept and to start testing out an integration, like they need some basic API functionality. And I feel some pressure for myself to like help keep that front moving forward, you know, and it's important for growth and marketing. But also I've been talking about building more teams functionality this month and it's already the 22nd and I haven't really, (laughs) really made much progress on that. So like I want, I want to work on that stuff. And then some of these smaller features that have just been like requested over and over again like i want to make progress on those so i feel a little bit chaotic right now uh, mm. just in general um, mm-hmm. time to hire somebody on the engineering side potentially yeah i have a little like a little game going with myself i'm trying to get to like true profitability before i add another big chunk to the monthly recurring expenses Fair. but yeah. uh yeah, this whole thing is just kind of a game of seeing how far you can stretch <laughs> stretch your capacity. And I have stated it here, and I've stated it to many people, that my goal with this this time around is to not be in a state of constantly stressed out. So uh, <laughs> what's going to stress me out more? Like stretching myself thin on amount of stuff I have to do or stretching the, the, um, the burn rate? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah, probably the latter. Yeah. At least for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So wh- where are you on your path to true profitability? At current growth rate, it's going to be another couple of months. Yeah. But you're trending towards it in a, at a reasonable clip? Yep. Yep. Your default alive, I should say, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true profitability, default alive. I could cover my own. I can cover my own salary but then i have to dip in a little bit into the hopper to cover like um paying Corey, for example you know so however that's defined that's where i'm at right now but um, okay yeah but you want it to be self-sufficient self-sufficient where the company is actually netting net positive every month you know mm-hmm. so that seems like a, a reasonable goal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there should probably be some profit at the bottom of that line yep yep, yep. cool yeah well i'm glad you're on track that's awesome yeah, I mean, this this has been a slower month in general. Like I've churned by percentage is actually down a little bit, but it's still uh, because growth has been down 
the first part of this month, like trial counts were lower. So I can definitely like feel the pain of that. Um, and I think it's, I think it's starting to turn around and we have like, we're going to start experimenting with some affiliate stuff, opening up an affiliate program and, and kind of proactively trying to launch that, um, to, uh, to some people who could hopefully make a, like, I'm hoping to see a, a nearer term impact on that. If some people start really, um, you know, promoting Savvy Cal to their audiences. Are you going to pay these people cash money or free subscription cash or cash cool. money? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I think we want to do kind of want to do both, both like affiliates and then like a referral program. And we're kind of thinking about like for the referral program, I think what people might care about most is just like being able to give someone the the gift of a free month of Savvy Cal, <laughs> you know, like I think a lot of times in a referral context, people are less concerned about like incentivizing themselves or profiting themselves. And instead just like they want to, you know, they want to share it with somebody. If they're already a happy user, they want to share it with somebody and give them an incentive. Um, it's kind of what we're hearing. Like we've been testing the, testing the waters a little bit on that. That's um, interesting. Yep. So I think we're going to probably experiment with, with, with kind of both of those modes, like, for affiliates and you don't necessarily even have to be a savvy cal customer to be an affiliate and then kind of a customer referral program um, i like it yeah especially with that viral loop mm-hmm. exactly yep were you running ads i can't remember did you ever did you were you trying that yes we have podcast ads running currently results have been very spotty not great like immediate quantitative results i would say we have landing pages set up with a with a specific landing page that's driven to by the ad and a coupon code, and those are very lightly used at this point. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, we'll see. Let's, I want to try this later this year. Some sort, something like this. Got to at least mm-hmm. throw some money at this and see what happens. I think it's a definitely a worthwhile experiment. You know, yeah, um, totally, for sure. Second half of the year. Yep, that's the plan. Put some put some budget towards marketing things. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You think we should hire a marketing person? I think you would see benefits from it for sure. Yeah. yeah. I do too. There are a few major operations of a business. And like, you know, engineering is one of them and support is one of them. And, but like marketing is one of them and sales is one of them. It's like, okay, well, do you have people sitting in all those seats that are great that are working on these things and care about them? It's like, no. It's like, okay. Well, <laughs> that seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I feel like, um, I mean, you guys have a lot of kind of natural, (laughs) natural growth and spread, but like there are of course the kind of fundamental things that take upfront investment and time, you know, to build up an asset. Like, like for example, if you're going to do SEO or something like that doesn't happen overnight, that takes like a, a, um, you know, concerted amount of investment for a future payoff. And like, so I think you, you having a marketing person who's like, even if they're working on some of those more like kind of just fundamental internet marketing things that you can do that flywheels you can build up over time like and because you have the you you do have the margin to to be able to invest in that like that probably is not a bad idea to yeah totally to be more yeah and just being like hi uh your job is to make this new trials per month number go up Mm -hmm. it's like okay like now someone is invested and pointed at a key problem of the business one of my things that I think about is like, am I doing enough marketing activities that the number is staying at a good level or are going up? And it's, it's, it's a, it's a fraction of my attention versus like just 
appointing someone head of that and being like, this is how we're going to judge your performance. You know, make sure this is going up and, you know, trial conversion rates aren't getting tanked by it. But, you know, try things. Here's some budget. Hire people if you got to like just, you know, go. Um, seems like a, a, a pretty strong multiplier on the business or like just like a thing where it's like, yeah, that's that's not a that's not an expense. That's an investment. That's an asset that we're acquiring effectively. It's like the, the ability to do these things and, and that kind of person with their abilities. Mm-hmm. And one of the arguably one of the easier expenses to to compute the ROI on, you know, like investing in product definitely leads to growth, but it's not as a direct path to growth as, you know, as someone who's doing growth and marketing. So, mm-hmm. um, yep. yeah, we have like a lot of hybrid stuff going on. Mm-hmm. where it's like we've been working with Dorothy, who's wonderful, and, and she's sort of doing like a little bit of growth over here, a little bit of analytics over here, a little bit of marketing over here. And it's it's like, yeah, like between um, her and I, we're kind of like spending some time on marketing, but it's not anyone's domain, you know, and it's not like, okay, this is this is your measuring stick. You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like I'm my, my mindset is shifting away from the like, we're a tiny scrappy startup. Everyone's going to wear lots of hats to like, we're a, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're like, we're on our way. We have some margin and we have a, a, we're starting to build out the team. So it's like, maybe we want actually specialists now. And so we can put someone who's like, you're just going to do this. And like, you've done this before. You have years of experience in this. You're an expert. You're expensive. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think we're entering sort of a, a new phase there. That's an important like thing to recognize when like, the stuff that got you here will not necessarily get you there. Having generalists who are spread thin across a bunch of different things won't necessarily like be able to move the needle on growth and marketing eventually because now the business has grown to the point where it's like, actually, it makes sense to have someone who's really dedicating all their energy and effort, not just time, but also expertise to it, you know? Um, yeah. So. There's this mindset I feel like I need to get into, which is that like asset, not expense like investment like it's the emotional feel to me is still like oh man if we hire somebody that's like 15 grand a month gone or something um and that <laughs> when you're one of the co-founders like that's literally that's literally our money like that, that yeah. it's like i can have that <laughs> split with joel spencer or like we can give it to somebody else and so like it triggers this like immediate kind of personal loss feeling but it's like no you idiot like if you have a machine that you can plug more people into and like dollars turn into more dollars. Why aren't you fleshing it out more? Why aren't you in, like, why take the dollars out of the business right now? Like take some, but like, don't take, you know, as much as you could necessarily. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to, to be thinking about. And actually I've been, I've been kind of evaluating this for myself. Like, like I've mostly capped, capped off my personal burn rate. So like for, you know, for a couple of years, I was basically like funding my own, salary essentially and now i've gotten to the place where like the business is is very close to profitability i am paying myself enough to cover my living expense so like my own personal burn is capped and so i have personal assets the business has a bank account and we are spending a certain amount of money right now to to grow this business and and keep it on its track and so i've been thinking like okay so I've kept a pretty like conservative position on like how much liquid cash I have in the bank, you know, to, to in the event that like the business really is struggling to grow and I need to be able to like continue, you know, paying my rent out of my personal checking account, you know, and now it's getting to the place where like, okay, I actually think, you know, I could, I could take some, some of this money that I've just been 
holding on to liquid just in case. And I could, I don't know, I could put it in the stock market or I could go try to like find another place to invest it. But basically like, and then I thought like if the business is doing really well and I'm like paying myself, you know, an even larger salary and I'm like, like growing my own personal bank account, it's like, that's fine. But like the thought of taking that money and then just putting it into something like the stock market where it's like, I have no real control over what those invested dollars are doing. I'm just banking on like, it's the, it's the kind of like, I don't know what to do with the money. So I'm going to give it to some other company to grow it into. (laughs) And it's like, is that what I'm trying to do is just turn like, like harvest money out of my business and then go put it in the stock market. Like, I feel like I could potentially like right now, for example, what if I put a big chunk of money of my own money back into my own business and use that to grow it faster. Would that have a better return than, than going and throwing it in the stock market? Mm. Potentially it would, you know? Mm -hmm. So it becomes this like game of like, well, where are my dollars best invested? And you want some diversification. Of course, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, but also like if you're young, you know, it's, maybe it's too conservative to have like a bulk of your personal wealth in the stock market. Like maybe I should be a little more, a little more risky with it, you know? And yeah, it's a tough call. Uh, that this this is the calculation that I make a lot too. I do want to take some of those tuple dividends. Like I, the thing that I do with most of the money that tuple throws off that, that we take out as dividends is I buy index funds. And it's like, yep, I don't control those companies, but that's okay. Like I'm buying into like lots of public companies. I'm, I'm cool with that. Like I want, now those people are like working to earn me a return. Awesome. And like, I'm, I'm out of, I'm like diversifying sort of slowly away from, so much of my net worth being wrapped up in tuple. I wouldn't be like, we've definitely struck the right balance. Like this is exactly the right amount to do it. Like what our current like margins are, like how much of the total revenue we take out. I think you and probably us would get, and we would get better returns investing money back into the company. It's a much more risky bet than like an index fund, for example, which is where returns come from. Like you could, those, those, those have to go together, right? So it's kind of like, well, what do you, what are you trying to do here? Like, do you want to diversify out of Savvy Cal and, you know, like protect some of that money and accept lower returns in exchange for lower risk? Or do you want to double down on this bet because you feel like it's your best bet you've got going? And I think that's totally, there's totally, you could take either side of that depending on who you are, what your risk tolerance is, how much money you have now, where your net worth is, what you want your, the ride to be like towards, like, you know, as you're, as you're going. And so, yeah, I think there's no one answer here, but it's, it's totally a good topic to like be thinking about a lot. So you can think of it in terms of kind of like different levels of personal wealth. Like you have, you know, step one is like, do you have your emergency fund where like you can, you know, if, if you lost your job and like you needed to fund yourself for a number X number of months, you could do that comfortably. And it's like, okay, that's check one. Then check two is like, do you have enough money? in the bank to maybe like be able to throw down a good down payment for a property that you would want to live in or something like that. And it's like, that's step number two. And then like, and then like you look at like, are you contributing towards like tax shielded money for retirement accounts that will grow without tax implications? And there's that, you know, so there's all these rings. Right. And, and it's like, then at a certain point you're like, well, how much more personal assets do I really need to have on hand? And then how much, you know, everything else should I just really be a little more risky as a person in their 30s, you know, to, to really try to to try to grow that. Um, yeah. So I've kind of operated from a little bit of like a loss aversion principle or like position. So it's like, OK, we have this tuple thing. It's going really well right now. 
I sure would be sad if it I never took profits out of the business and it you know went up and then down and it was like damn we missed the you know we we ended up with nothing at the end um and so we've been pretty aggressive about keeping costs low don't hire too much have lots of profit left over and then distribute it get like put it out and then and then I buy index funds so it's like it's kind of the like I'm worried that the the ride will end and I want to take care of myself now and establish this like you know large cash cushion for myself or you know stock cushion the cushion is getting larger which is cool because we've been prioritizing it and it's like when i look at the list of bets i could make with the next rounds of cash it's like tuple does actually seem like a pretty pretty good bet like yes it is it's, it's doubling down on a thing that already is a big chunk of my net worth um uh, or is probably the biggest i guess um and so it's it's kind of like you're you're putting even more in the the already large bet but it's also like, but I do also think it's a good bet. And I feel like I'm, I think we're like most, especially like developer-led software companies, we're going to tend to underinvest in things like sales and marketing. We're going to like discount the importance of that and how much effect that can have in the business. And like, I think a lot of these like private equity um, things that like buy SaaS apps from developers are kind of just like, they just do the sales and marketing that like developers find distasteful. And that's like a great way to like improve the business. And I, I don't want us to be like being stupid about that and like leaving lots of money on the table or like being too cautious and, and pulling too much out of the business and not investing in it when it's like there's these great investment opportunities in the business right here. Uh, why aren't you taking them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, was it you or someone else? I can't remember like talking about a while back, like for a SaaS company, we have certain multiples on what you know, every addition to the bottom line adds this much enterprise value to the to the value of the company. And when you start thinking of it in that way, it's like, God, like these SaaS companies are, there's something to them. <laughs> you know, they're extremely, like if you just add another 10, 20K to your MRR, you're adding potentially like, you know, um, half million, million dollars to your, well, to your valuation. Yeah. I mean, like an extra 10K is something like yeah like a half a million dollars in in enterprise value so it's like okay could you hire a person that would add an extra 10k over the next year for like if you if you pay this person two hundred thousand dollars well great you're up 400k uh (laughs) thank you sir might have another like exactly yeah (laughs) and that's just that year right and it's like so and this stuff tends to compound and stick around and expand and there's yeah it's, there's there's yeah there's a reason SaaS businesses are popular they're pretty good i wouldn't say we've been over like overly cautious but like i've i've erred on the slightly more cautious side take the cash out diversify away but i feel myself the needle starting to swing back in a different direction um, and it's like yeah there's just opportunity here we have big holes not filled in the company even this like the support engineer it's like that's an investment. It, it it looks like an expense on the bal- on the income statement, right? Like it's like, oh yeah, we our expenses grew, but what you what you don't see is like you saved these customers from canceling. You made this person into an evangelist that then invi- invited other people. Um, like you're investing back in the business can. It, sometimes it's not very it's not as trackable or clear, but it doesn't mean it's not like a really good thing to do. Yeah, there's there's multipliers in there that compound. It's all lots of, all these things compound in business, you know. Joel was making this point the other day. It's like, if you have like an immediate cost, it just stands out in your mind so much where it's like, okay, if we do this, it's going to cost us 20 grand or whatever. And it's like, wow, that's just like, that's so potent. That, that feeling of that loss or that, you know, that, that expense is 
very real and 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 easy to imagine and feel sort of uh, viscerally versus like yes but then this person is going to generate over the next year like these marketing campaigns that are going to like slowly pay off and position us for this thing and who knows like a partnership comes out of this or like you know like it's those things are all kind of um harder to feel as you know as truly and so you will probably tend to avoid that sort of immediate obvious easy to picture pain uh as opposed to weighing it correctly yeah so it's about like practically making the like coming to the conclusion that no this is an investment not a cost center and there are certain things in business that do ultimately end up just kind of being cost centers like (laughs) at larger companies you know you have you just have to do is there's a certain amount of like waste in that is just required like think about like compliance for publicly traded companies and like you just there's just like millions of dollars you have to spend on just doing just just to be where you're at you know but as smaller companies we have very few of those most things that we're that we're putting money towards have some kind of ROI whether it's immediately direct or it's more of a you know a longer term kind of less direct return I was listening to, I'm, I'm getting into this podcast now. It's called The Fort with Chris, somebody who lives in Fort Worth, I think. And it, he has it's just, it's just random people that like run interesting businesses on. on. He's, he runs like a 25 person uh, real estate firm. They like buy industrial real estate and then run it. He was actually coaching somebody who's getting ready to like make a big hire. And he's like, I'm just feeling like that's so much money. It's going to be a huge hit. And this guy who had the 25 person firm was saying, you know, every time I've stretched and brought on someone expensive that I thought was going to be great, it's turned into like a wonderful outcome. Like they've, they've generated so much more value than that. And like, he's like, he was the one that, that's where that phrase that I was just saying, like, you know, it's an asset. It's not an expense. I'm, I'm trying to get that more of that mindset. That to me is almost kind of the fundamental question. It's like, do you have a machine that you can plug people into profitably? Mm-hmm. Like does your cyborg, does, mm-hmm. like, does it, does it work? That's kind yeah. of the fundamental. Does it work? Yeah. Like, in, and if you do, then keep doing that. And if not, we'll figure that out. Yeah. And make yeah. that part true first. Right. Like Stripe wants to hire 2000 people because mm-hmm. their cyborg works. Mm-hmm. Shopify <laughs> wants to hire many thousands of people because their thing works. Like, so like if you have the thing that works, you should want to hire a lot of people and plug them into it. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. That's good stuff. Yeah. My coffee's really kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> Feel a little high right now. Yeah, I like it. This is a nice crescendo. Whew, yeah, let's end in the crescendo. Yeah. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofprivatepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>